one of the best pieces of advice I was given when we first started homeschooling was to become her student for a year instead of trying to be her teacher right away. Mm. I think that's one of the ways that we, I have personally compensated for that is that with this learning lifestyle is that, well, we don't have to be good at everything. We're just, we're coming at it with a, an attitude of curiosity. Like I may, maybe this isn't my favorite thing, but I'm so curious about it. I actually found I have more mommy guilt <laughs> being a stay at home mom than I, well, I did anyway, than I did before. And so it's one of the reasons I kind of got into human design is that it helps me like know what the, this child or myself or this other child, what they actually need. Cause it shows you a lot of the conscious and subconscious motivations. Hello and welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Diary of a Homeschooler, where we talk about all things homeschooling. I'm your host, Jenna Kelly. I homeschooled for three years myself through my junior high or middle school years and am now a homeschool mom to five beautiful kids aged 15 down to three. This episode is from my series, But How Do You Homeschool Through High School?, where I chat with homeschool parents who have supported their children as they graduated high school and moved on to other endeavors. I'm really excited to have Sasha Clark on the podcast with me today. Sasha is a mom to four. She has a 25-year-old daughter and three boys ages eight, nine, and five. And she also has a business where she uses human design to help parents be able to build better relationships with their kids. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here today, Sasha. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for having me. That I really appreciate the invitation. And just to clarify, my boys are 11, 9, and 5. So Yes. <clears throat> yes. Did I say yeah. something different? I might have said Yeah, something. it's okay. No worries. All right. I just wanted to ask, where are you located? Just because I know that all the regulations and stuff for homeschooling are a little bit different everywhere you go. Sure. I am in Iowa in the United States and we live in central Iowa. So I don't know if you're familiar with Iowa State University, the Cyclones, but that's the college town we live in. Iowa's pretty supportive of homeschoolers. We have the option to do supervised homeschooling or unsupervised, which I think is different in every state. Some states you have to be very regulated and other states you don't. And so we're one of those that's kind of in the middle where there's quite a bit of freedom for people that want it. And then also a lot of support for people that want that. Was your daughter homeschooled? I know you're homeschooling your boys. Yeah. She started out in public school and then I think it was fifth grade. We started, I tutored her through a couple of summers because she was kind of falling behind in math. And then by seventh grade, we were dual enrolled and she was doing most of her core subjects at home and then just electives basically at the school. Okay, cool. And what is she up to now? She is an office manager at a, a mental health clinic. So okay. <laughs> she's doing great. She's, she's, yeah, got a, a nice cushy office job. <laughs> awesome. That's great. So why did you decide to transition to homeschooling? Yeah, that's a great question. It, like I said, my daughter was falling behind in math and she's, she's also one of those children that really has to feel pretty emotionally supported in order to really learn. She can learn things without feeling emotionally supportive, but she can't really integrate them until, she, and so she was just, we lived in a small, smaller town than Ames and 
I mean, it's not the teacher's fault, but she just had this one, one teacher that was in charge of her math and science that year. And she just felt like the lady just hated her (laughs) and she couldn't do it. She just, she just couldn't focus. And we suspected that she maybe was, had attention deficit. And so I just was uncomfortable because of her age to start any kind of medication. So homeschooling was also a way for us to try to tailor her education to in smaller bites that she could manage better. And now as an adult, like we've, we've had conversations about her getting like, do you want to get tested? Do you want to get on medication? And it's totally her, 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 I'm not anti-medication by the way, but in our particular family history, I was just nervous about it. And so it made more sense for us to try to just help her get through school and let her postpone the decision of medication until she was an adult. So and now it's totally her decision and she's still not medicated, but, but she's definitely way, way familiar with her symptoms, especially working with the people that she works with now. I think that she's got a lot of support to help like work with, with the attention deficit. It really just is a matter of like, she doesn't have a lot of focus and I, I kind of go back and forth if we made the right decision or not, but she is an excellent student. She's very bright, very brilliant. And she was a, a successful high schooler and she did as much college as she wanted to. And like I said, it's not really my call anymore. And I'm totally supportive of whatever she decides to do. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. I know that there are probably a lot of other parents out there who have similar situations where they're trying to support a neurodivergent kid who has ADHD or something like that. What were some of the things that you find were really helpful for uh, coping and like support mechanisms for her. And it was like, it's a focus. It's about her deciding what she still struggles with executive functioning. So just deciding what her priorities are for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the best pieces of advice I was given when we first started homeschooling was to become her student for a year instead of trying to be her teacher right away. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of like field trips and just whatever she was, her fancy was, it kind of set us back about a half a year as far as the long-term like picture, but it was really uh, all the information I learned about her studying the way she likes to take on new information was invaluable in the days to come. Right. So, and I learned that if you start her, she's kind of like water, like if you have a nice structure, the water will just flow through a path with you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, it kind of spreads everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, And it goes to the lowest point. And so oftentimes if she didn't have a pile or a list to work off of, she would just end up in her room reading a pile of books that she was really interested in and not getting her work done. So she and I just really did a lot of, um, I I would break her lessons down into something she could accomplish in 15 or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then she would take a little break and come back to the pile and do the next thing on the pile. She's a pile person. And my oldest boy is a list person. So if I had to do that same system with him, it would be an actual list on the whiteboard. He loves the feeling of erasing stuff and or checking it off. Um, I don't know what I would do with my middle boy. He doesn't like either lists or piles. <laughs> so I don't know. He's a lot more hands-on. I'm, I'd have to think about that for a little bit, but maybe we could, you know, put rocks in something or I don't know, something a little more physical to show that the task is done. But, but yeah, she just likes, she liked the pile. And so I tended to lesson plan later in the evening, the night before, and just make her a pile of books that, and each one had something like an, a worksheet in it or something. And she'd put it away as it got done. And when the pile was done, she could flow and move, like spread her water out as far as she wanted to go. And uh, and then in, once we got to high school, you know, there was a lot of, because the 
the elective schedule was really like we'd homeschool for an hour and a half and she'd have to go to band. And then, you know, it was just a lot of back and forth to the school, mm-hmm. school which actually kind of helped because it gave her, you know, this, this break. So she could, you know, just focus on something for short amounts of short amount of time. I find ADD to be, I mean, there's a lot of gifts that come with it too. Like once they're really interested in something, they can hyper-focus too. So that was also part of the strategy we used with her is that we did a lot of unit studies. So social studies doesn't have, for example, history was one of her most boring subjects and math. And so when she would get fascinated by something, we would make a unit study out of it. So Hmm. um, it was just kind of like, so I kind of treated it like we're, like you're, you know, going through a museum or something and then something catches her eye and whatever catches her eye, we develop a unit study around. And then we just stay there for a couple of weeks and really get into it deeper. She's super resourceful. I think that's probably the thing that I'm the most proud of about her journey is that I really feel that she is able to learn anything she decides to learn because we've taught her tools to work with her energy, tools to work with the way her brain likes to learn things. And so she, for example, just bef- the job she had before she worked at Earl May and she was a plant expert and she just loves plants and she's always loved mm-hmm. to nurture anything. She was almost obsessed about like, that's the ADD too. She was obsessed about plants. She was like constantly talking about it for like the first six months of that job. But she is a walking encyclopedia of plant information. Now. So when I, when I have houseplant problems, you know, I know there's like the Facebook group for your houseplants. I call my daughter. I just go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of droopy. What do you think it needs? She can, she can say, take a picture, send it to me. And she can tell right off of how it looks like what's wrong with it and what it needs. So she's, like I said, she's brilliant. And I find that to be true with a lot of ADD students that they, whatever they're fascinated about, they just become this huge resource of information. And so, yeah, it's just trying to catch their attention really basically. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for asking. Me. I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about that we were going to talk about that, but she's, that's yeah. the main reason we got homeschooling. What's kept us in it now is that, I mean, my husband, by the time our oldest boy was ready for kindergarten, he's like, it's not broken. Don't fix it. Let's just keep going. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so your oldest was born when she was about 14. Is that right? Or your oldest boy? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She was 13. And then my next boy was born when she was 15. And then I think she was 20 when the baby was born. Okay. Yeah, that's right. She just turned 25. So how did you handle having, I know that this is another struggle that (laughs) families have. How do you handle helping someone who's older in their high school years while also having young children that you're trying to manage at the same time? I know that can be a big struggle for some homeschool families. It was. I mean, I did for a little bit. I mean, I guess, especially through like when she started driving, so sophomore, junior, senior year, I felt really stretched as far as how much sleep I was getting because, you know, she would be up later because that's just what teens do. And she'd want to talk at like 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night or sometimes 11 30 or midnight. And I'm so exhausted at that point. Plus we were running a daycare out of her home too, just to help out with, I was trying to just help out with the bills a little bit. And because homeschooling is really a one income job, right? And it's, mm-hmm that can be a big transition for families too, who are used to being on two incomes. I just, I remember one night I made a huge mistake. I was so, so tired. The baby, I think 
the baby would have been my middle boy at the time was had been sick and so I really wasn't hadn't gotten enough sleep for like three days and she was out with her friends I think there was you know pet band or something in a basketball game or whatever and she comes home and she wanted to tell me something that was going on with her and I was like barely keeping my eyes open and I'm like can we talk about this in the morning? I just can't right now. And then it was like, I don't know, it was probably three or four months before she tried to talk to me in the middle of the night again. And I'm like, why did I do that? Oh my gosh. I mean, she just, I mean, like, it's not like she couldn't tell I was tired, but like teenagers, you know, whenever they want to involve you in their life, I just, it's hard, but it's such a short season. And I, if I could go back and do that over again, I would have zipped my lip a little bit because I was tired, but you know, she's also the kind of person because she can, she's very nurturing too, that she could see I was tired and she probably, it probably would have taken 20 minutes max and she would have gone to bed. So it wasn't like she was keeping me up until two or three in the morning talking something. She wasn't, she's not a very selfish teenager, but I I stuck up for myself and then it it backfired for a few months and I'm like, won't make that mistake again. Whoopsie. Yeah. Try to, so I made it more of a point to take a nap and then during the day when the babies were napping. So, so that you could be available for her a little bit in the evening. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's definitely one of the struggles of those teen years is with, with young kids, it's like, if you, if you shut down that conversation, it they don't internalize it the same way that a teenager does. Right. And so like when you shut down the conversation, yeah, Mm -hmm. they internalize it in a completely different way and it can be challenging to open up the conversation again later. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're initiating it, like it probably wouldn't have been so bad if I had been like, Hey, come here. I want to talk to you about something. And then 10 minutes into it, I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm a little tired anyway. And she would have been like, Oh, phew. Spotlight's off me. I'm back. (laughs) You know, so, but yeah, but she was the one coming to me. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And then as far as like schooling too, I think one of the strategies we used, cause she was also a pretty independent student, but she needed me to be in the room or at least in proximity, because again, it's about that focus. Like it was mm-hmm. easier for her to focus if she knew I was right there to ask questions. Otherwise she'd start getting anxious. Like what if I get stuck or whatever? And so I just honestly would have her sit at the dining room table and I would play with the kids on the floor nearby and mm-hmm. do the do my thing and then when she'd leave for band then the kids and I would go on me and all you know we did we kept our daycare numbers pretty small because like my whole point in life is to school the kids not to have like be a you know massively successful daycare provider you know so then the the kids and I would go on a walk or play outside while she was up at band and then we'd get re reoriented and I would start lunch it was just kind of like just these touch points we would I would just try to meet her where she was able to sit down and focus and and yeah I didn't have to like hover over her too much she was pretty self-directed by that point but that's something too I don't know if a lot of parents build that in but one of the questions I ask myself every summer as I'm thinking ahead for the school year is what skill does this child need by the end of this year to be a slightly Mm -hmm. more independent student and I do that because well, because when you have multiple kids, you can't have them all relying on you to write all their papers and do all the things, you know. One year, my my boys, for example, both that we had a whole lot of practice in handwriting because I needed them to be able to write. Oh, yeah, that was the year that they were we were starting to do math worksheets. And I'm like, I have to help them write these sheets. This is so much work for me. And what they really need to do is just drill these math drills, you know, like it's not, (laughs) and suddenly math has become handwriting too, you know? And so we spent a lot of time that year practicing handwriting 
separately from math. That way they could eventually do their worksheets by themselves without me having to sit there and help them write it. I like that kind of looking at where the child is at and what skills would benefit them that year and -hmm. helping them develop that. That's a really, really neat way to, to approach things. So did you have a specific methodology that you used or curriculum or something like that? And did it change over the time? Is there something you prefer now to what you might've started with? Yeah, I, I don't, as a person, as a human, I don't really get unschooling because I am also slightly ADD and I w- I'm like, how do you make sure you get all the stuff done if you don't ever have a plan? So I, I, nothing against people who unschool. I, th- I have a lot of respect for it, but I just like, there's part of me that I'm like, how do I know if I've done it right? If I don't even, like, I don't have a goal or I don't know what the, what, what subject we're working on. You know, like I just can't, I can't figure that out. So maybe I'm not sure. Maybe I don't really understand it. So I, I'm kind of a, I count what what I call our homeschool is that we're kind of, we are a learning, we just have a learning lifestyle. So we're always learning even when we're not in school. And I think that the first transition I needed to make as a parent was to really avoid trying to do school at home. Homeschooling and school Mm -hmm. at home are very different concepts. It takes so much less time and effort to homeschool because it's really a one-on-one tutoring situation. I mean, I do, there are some subjects with my boys that we do them together, but especially with my daughter there, we, I, it's just me and her, you know? And Mm so, and when you're tutoring someone, it's just a lot more efficient because you can really just move at the pace of one student. And that's great. So the methodology with her, a lot of unit studies, I did end up developing like a spreadsheet back to this unschooling comment I made. So I had a spreadsheet that where I would track um, over the course of her high high school um, in Iowa, you have to do so many hours in a certain subject in order to graduate. And so every day, if we touched on math for 20 minutes, I'd add those minutes in and eventually it would calculate to hours and that uh, those that would move populate to the back spreadsheet, which would say how many hours we've done in, in math throughout that year, which would add to the year before that. And then I could tell if we were on track for, and about every six weeks, I would recheck the, the, the master sheet at the back and see, you know, which subjects are we not doing enough in? Because again, when you're following someone's passion, especially with unit studies, it's very, I mean, she loved literature. So we were always doing great in English hours. (laughs) She could, yeah, because she, and if she had her way, we would just do English and nothing else. But, but now that she's, I mean, she's an office manager, she's handling client accounts and collecting money, you know? So I'm really glad we didn't avoid the math subject <laughs> but but anyway so that helped me just make sure we were always coming back to like what is it what are the and we kind of broke things into what are the need to's and what are the get to's you know like the get to's mm-hmm. are the things you enjoy but we really need to get some algebra done today you know right so and a lot of times for her it helped to do the harder stuff the stuff she didn't want to do first the other other kids are real motivated by like if you do something they like and then do something they don't really like and then come back to something they like at the end so they have something to look forward to but for her she really preferred just to get the stuff she didn't like the most out of the way. Otherwise it would stress her out. Like, when are we going to do math? I hate math. When are we going to do math? I hate math, you know? And like, then she couldn't really focus on what she was supposed to be focusing on because she was worried about, I hate math. When are we going to do math? So she kind of liked to just get math out of the way. Did you have a, a any specific curriculums and stuff that you liked? We used a curriculum called, oh my gosh, As Precious as Rubies, I think. it was. It's designed for girls. It is a little Christian oriented, but again, it was all based on unit studies. 
And not that I'm opposed to Christian-oriented curriculum. I we're Jewish, is all, but but it was really flexible. It was basically a plan of what unit studies you could do in each of these subjects through high school. So I could pick and choose which things she, we would sit down with the book and she'd help me pick and choose which things she was most interested in, mm-hmm. um, which that, I like that a lot for her. My next boy is very strategic in the way that he learns and he's very visual. Again, she was very feeling kind of sensory and a little more, little more random. <laughs> and so I've had to really adjust my teaching style for him and be more strategic and build like this week's lesson needs to build to next week's lesson. The kind of the information kind of builds on it, the stuff before it pretty well for him. My next boy is very gifted and he tends to pick up things really quickly. And so I find that just reducing the number of drills for him because he gets bored. He just gets bored out of his mind so easy. He's also the, my boy that like when I was teaching my older son to read, he was still in preschool and he just refused to be left out. So he learned how to read by the time he was like four mm-hmm. just because he wouldn't go play <laughs> while we were doing school. He would wanted to be right there. And he's like, well, I don't understand if he gets to do a reading lesson, why I can't do a reading lesson. So <laughs> there he is. And he's doing, you know, math. He's in an advanced math class for the same reason. Cause he, when he was younger, he just didn't want to get left behind. So he's right. been kind of trying to keep up with his older brother. And then my youngest is really, i he's just starting kindergarten. So I'm still studying him. I don't know what to say about him just yet because he's very experiential, very hands-on. He's showing a lot of talent and interest in like building things with his hands, you know, like construction type stuff. But so like the same reading curriculum I've used for all my boys, he just isn't really that interested in it. And I think again, it's just that he is more of a big picture system. Like when you have a building brain, you can kind of see what it's supposed to be like, and then you kind of bring it down to the small parts. So I'm actually just in the last couple of weeks been like flipping my process upside down where I'm like, let's just take a book and try to read it together. So that's more of the big picture, right? Like I'm going to yeah. get through this with my mom and he can sound out a ton of words. And we've only gotten through like a third of the reading book, the curriculum. So I'm like, maybe he just needs to be, see it all in context so much more than the other kids. So that's what I'm going to try this year is to start with reading together and then go to the curriculum and maybe he'll connect the dots a little faster after he's struggled with sounding out a word or whatever. And now it's at the curriculum or whatever. I don't know. It's a lot of homeschooling I find is very trial and error. And then once you figure out what's working, stick with it (laughs) and don't break it. (laughs) The trial and error, sometimes it's trial and error. You find what works for one kid and then it's going to be a trial and error for a different process for your other kids. So what was the reading curriculum that you liked for your two older boys? Oh, teach your child to read in a hundred easy lessons. It's a, a paperback curriculum. My oldest already knew how to read before I started homeschooling her. So I had to learn how to teach how to read, if that makes sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the first boy. And so I love that it had like a script to help tell you what to say and how, what to, you know, react to and that kind of thing. So it was really nice. The downside of that curriculum, just because people are going to go check it out, I suppose. The downside is that it, it treats certain phonograms, like it makes like miniature letters and it treats those certain phonograms, like they're exceptions. And so one of the curriculums I'm using for spelling is called spelling to write and read. And it actually has the kids memorizing every Germanic and Latin based phonogram that's used in the English language. And I find that to be, again, for my more structured child, a lot more thorough and a lot because he was driving himself mad with all the exceptions. And he's like, there's got to be a rule about that, too. And I'm like, well, there actually is. I don't know why that curriculum didn't just teach it, but that's just the way they decided. I think they were just trying to condense it and make it 
simpler as an introduction to reading and he's doing a lot better actually memorizing all of the, the phonograms instead because that gives him a nice solid foundation for every word he's going to encounter so mm -hmm. and that's just how he thinks so yeah yeah <laughs> definitely one of the confusing things with English is that we have so many different phonograms yeah. that make the same sound because we've got so many different language influences yeah. in English's exactly. history yeah that was one of the things I took linguistics in university and I found the history of linguistics was especially learning about English was fascinating because it's just so yeah. anyway <laughs> no it's, it's a, you're right it's like the English language I think is kind of a microcosm of you know whatever it's a melting pot of all these different languages and influences right just like mm -hmm. I think I don't know we're just yeah anyway <laughs> yeah it's really cool it's actually really fascinating I love languages <laughs> yeah yeah they yeah, are if I had my way we just do language arts too <laughs> <laughs> oh but that speaking of that uh, my middle boy is also very gifted with languages as well so he hates math too and so I'm this year my plan is to teach math, the language of math I think he'll like that a little better that's really interesting yeah math like a language and then when you're done learning the language then I'll give you a few problems he just needs to get faster at doing the but yeah, anyway, he's very yeah. good with languages. So that's my yeah. other, I guess, thing I've kind of pulled out of the trial and error stage is that, you know, once you figure out what they're really good at, there's no reason not to make all the other types of lessons using that same framework. There's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with it. You can't break it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we want, right? <laughs> yeah. So I know for myself, I used to really struggle with math as well. I didn't like math, but I found when I changed my perspective on it and started paying attention to mathematicians and that they almost perceive math as like an art form. You know what I mean? And being able to see that perspective on it really shifted how I looked at math. I still don't feel like I'm good at math, but sure. it helped me shift how I look at it. And so there's lots of like great YouTubers out there that love math and look mm -hmm. at it in a completely different way. And so that was something that was helpful for me and being able to try to help instill a better appreciation for math <laughs> in my kids. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're right. And you're bringing up a really good point. Like sometimes as the parent or homeschool mom or homeschool dad, and in some cases we tend to shy away from the thing that we don't feel super confident in because we don't like it and we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing in front of our kids I mean we're supposed to like know stuff right we're the teacher <laughs> yeah and so yeah I think that's one of the ways that we I have personally compensated for that is that with this learning lifestyle is that I'm, well we don't have to be good at everything we're just we're coming at it with a, an attitude of curiosity like I may maybe this isn't my favorite thing but I'm so curious about it and yeah, and then just also like you don't ever, I don't, none of my kids ever have to love math, even though I love math, but they do have to learn to just appreciate it and be mm -hmm. able to master, like master it. Um, yeah. But they don't have to go on to be a statistician or something like that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I think that our goal actually for our homeschool isn't for them to be, to get perfect scores on tests or anything like that. It's more, we want them to feel equipped to learn whatever it is that they decide to put their hand to as adults. So it's all about learning tools or it's learning how to master the tools of learning more so than the subject of learning, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, so. absolutely. Makes sense. 
So what are some things that you've loved about your homeschooling experience? Mm, I love how much time I get to spend with my kids. I, I didn't know what I was missing out on when I was working outside of the home and she was, and my daughter was at public school. I had, I thought I was spending a lot of time with her. And now that I'm looking back, it feels like we spent a lot of time together in between here and there, you know, like picking her up from school and then on the way to a, you know, baseball or softball in her case or whatever. It just feels like we were always in the car spending time together and not really learning things together and experiencing things together. I'm not saying we weren't close. I felt like we had a close relationship before homeschooling. That's the big thing. I think I know my kids a lot differently than I would have if they were at school. I also feel like they see me differently. I feel like sometimes public school kids, some kids, not all kids, kind of start to treat the teachers at school as the expert or the go-tos or the peers. So really, we believe in the the power of influence in the relationship, the parenting relationship. I'm not a super religious person, but I believe that there's some soul contract or so, some reason that my children are my children, not your children. Do you know what I mean? But there, there's something that I stand to learn from them being in my life and they stand to learn from me being in their life. So, and not the other way around. I don't think it's primarily what I have to teach. I think it's primarily what I learn. I've learned a ton of things about how to be a better human being just from being a parent, you know? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I see them as my teachers too. And I, I also, I never really felt this mutual respect for my thinking from my own upbringing. But when you spend so much time talking, I mean, like we have dialectic conversations over dinner sometimes about, I don't know, I guess Christopher Columbus came up when the other day, you know, when you really spend a lot of time discussing topics with your kids, then they, when these conversations organically come up, they already know you respect their thinking process. So they're way more likely to pull out an idea they're playing with or a theory they're really trying to work through. And that's, that's tripping into friend territory there, right? In my mm-hmm. book where I was um, raised by someone who worked all the time and was um, taught by the public school and not that public school is bad, but I just, those are conversations I would have had in the classroom or with my friends. And now I get to be part of that world and they are in, allowing me into the space of them trying on new ideas and and just chewing through things that they are not sure they understand yet. And, and I guess, yeah, those are my favorite things about it. I just really feel like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm being, they give me more permission to be part of their life in an ongoing way. So Mm, I love that. What are some of the things that you found have been a struggle (laughs) and maybe unanticipated struggles? I didn't realize I was going to cook so much. I cook a lot. (laughs) I had no idea. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll be a homeschool mom. That sounds fun. I like to teach, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, when my kids, especially when the boys were all under six, you know, I just felt like I was in the kitchen constantly. And I I started calling them hobbits, my boys, because <laughs> you know that line where they're like, I don't think he's heard of second breakfast. Like that's seriously what our lives are like. If they didn't eat a, an adequate breakfast, we'd have to interrupt school 20 minutes into it to have a snack. It was horrible. <laughs> so I didn't have that much of a problem with that with my daughter, but I, and I'm nothing stereotypical, but my boys definitely need to be well-fed in order to study. So they're just growing so, so much. And I didn't anticipate that. I also, I had to really get used to not having as much alone time. Like I'm a pretty independent person. And so other than I used to work as a counselor, a substance abuse counselor. And so like, 
I'd have alone time between in the commute home and I could eat lunch by myself. And I just had plenty of time to just sit and reflect on what I was experiencing throughout the day. And I, I don't have built in uh, quiet space in my life much anymore. But again, as they, I mean, when they were toddlers, we all napped. So <laughs> you just, you have to really just make room for it. If you, if that's, since that's important to me to have quite a quiet space in the middle of the day, we just have always had a, a quiet time after lunch. And, mm. and that's just, yeah, it, whether they're reading or just watching TV or something, I'm not afraid to use the screen to buy myself 20 minutes of quiet time if I need to, because it, I think you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. Mm-hmm. And that people say that all the time, but I actually think that like what I give even beyond my family has to come out of the saucer under the cup. I mean, that cup should be overflowing and it. And I just can't do that if I'm not getting enough time to center myself. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Makes sense. I think that that's mm-hmm. something that we definitely could talk about more in the homeschool community is how do we do self-care when we're taking care right. of everybody all the time. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And definitely something that that I think parents need to think about and think about how am I making sure that I've got enough in inside that I have enough to give my kids everything that they need, especially when I'm providing everything. I'm providing their education. I'm feeding them. I'm doing all those things and totally relate to the second breakfast thing because <laughs> – yeah, that's my kids right now too, or my two youngest anyway. My three older kids kind of help themselves, but the two yeah. young kids for sure. Oh yeah, that was a problem too when they could start helping themselves. I'm like, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> this probably is not a free for all. Yes, <laughs> this vegetable drawer though is right. You can yeah, have anything absolutely yeah. any time of the day, you know. And so yep. yeah, some of I think learning to express my boundaries too. Like hmm. sometimes it isn't so much like. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a conflict, but it, like, okay, you you are probably old enough to get yourself a snack whenever you want to. So here's like, this cupboard has all healthy snacks. This drawer has all healthy snacks. Pick something out of there, you know, and I, I tend to make rules, but that's also because my oldest likes rules and then he can follow them. But if your kids don't like rules that much, you can just like put a little sticky note on the stuff that they can get whenever they want to and let them know that I'm I'm all I don't know if that's true for a lot of parents but I feel like I'm always about empowering independence of my kids like if you can do it yourself I'd love for you to do it yourself I don't need to be the person that's always fixing you a sandwich you know or always helping you with paper or always you know doing your flashcards with you or whatever we break a lot of our school into skills that we can drill and that they can eventually do on their own once they have the skill built and then subjects that we need to more like chew through and and conceptualize um and even inside a subject there's you know like again English like language arts some of the skills is handwriting you know there's certain skills that you can just drill spelling but then there's other things we really need to talk through and use more of that abstract part of our brains to do I do relate also to the feeling like you're just cooking all the time and Mm -hmm. just in the last like six months that's gotten way easier for me because my oldest said that she wanted to be able to do more independent cooking. And so she took on, yeah. So she took on one day a week where she makes dinner and then each of my other kids in turn saw her doing that. And they're, they're like, well, I want a night where it's my turn to make supper. And so everybody has a night. My three youngest still need help. So I'm still in the kitchen with them, but my two older kids can do it totally independent now, unless they're doing something new that they haven't done before. And so then I'm available for them if they want to do something new, but it's like amazing. Like I love it so much. And they feel like they're getting 
those life skills that they need too. So it's been oh, yeah. super helpful. I'm so uh, glad you brought that up too, because I think that life skills, like they, my, all my boys, except my youngest fold and put their own clothes away because mm-hmm. like, they, I'm not going to college with them. They need to know how to do that. So yep. hang on a second. You're going to have sure. to edit this yeah, part out. That's fine. What can I help you with? I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of an interview, right? <laughs> Is it emer- an emergency? What's up? Okay, tell me. It's Pokemon. Oh my gosh, it's Pokemon. That is not worth interrupting an interview over. I'll talk to you in a few minutes. What? Oh my, congratulations. Yes, there's, maybe you do want to leave that in. There's definitely a difference in what, in priorities. And yes. I, I think that's a thing too. Like, I don't see them as always interrupting me, although that's kind of rude when they do, but, but they, I'm also interrupting their day, you know, like they have a whole universe and a set of priorities that's on their mind. So back to the self-care thing, we were talking about busy moms needing to take care of their themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason. Oh yeah. I remember what I was going to say. Mommy guilt too. That's the other thing I didn't expect Mm -hmm. is that I thought I'd feel less guilty coming home and being with my kids all the time and being attentive to their every moment and their needs and their feelings and everything. And I actually found I have more mommy guilt (laughs) being a stay at home mom than I, well, I did anyway, than I did before. And so it's one of the reasons I kind of got into human design is that it helps me like know what the, this child or myself or this other child, what they actually need. Cause it shows you a lot of the conscious and subconscious motivations. And so like for my youngest, for example, he is a projector. So he has a lot, a little less energy than the rest of the kids. I have three generators, my daughter and the two sons are generators. And then he's a projector and I won't get into what that all means, but let just suffice it to say that he needs a lot, a little more rest, a lot more of like landing for mm. a few minutes of quiet time and just settling down. He needs to like settle down for about a half an hour before I can put him to bed. Cause he's kind of still discharging out of his body all the energy he's been that has been around him all day long and I kind of felt guilty at first because I was just protecting his nap time so much and Mm. he's like telling me I'm too old for this I'm too old but I know that the chart his chart says he needs more naps than the average Joe and so Mm. even now that he's not napping we still sit down and have quiet time I'm a projector too so I know that that's true for him and like I said the the mommy guilt's kind of gotten better the more I just like oh that's what they actually really need I don't have to feel guilty about he also is a lot more self-directed about his learning even Mm -hmm. as a five-year-old and he doesn't need as much guidance from me to learn something as the other kids and I kind of felt guilty that I wasn't spending enough time teaching him as I was the other kids but like I don't know I just don't feel like I'm pushing the subjects as early with him and am I just getting burnt out like as a mom because he's my youngest or am I just lazy what's going on well I don't have to worry about all that stuff because I'm tailoring my approach to his chart now and he really doesn't need as much hand-holding and as with projectors they because they're here they're like they master systems pretty quickly that's kind of what his chart is kind of what inspired me to do the to reverse engineer the the reading process too. Like, let's start with the big system and then you'll figure out what you need to learn to make the system more efficient. And you'll naturally want to know why that phonogram is different. And we'll just answer your questions as we go. So yeah. And it's work. He's yeah. It does work pretty beautifully that way for projectors. That's just an example, but the mommy guilt, I think mommy guilt's really pervasive. We always, even though we're doing so much more, we feel like it's not enough or we didn't do it with a cheerful heart or whatever we're stressed about. And Mm -hmm. yeah, learning what my kids actually need not what I think they need has been really helpful in digesting the mommy guilt and turning it into just 
prioritizing action. So, Mommy guilt is definitely pervasive. And I find that it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're homeschooling or kids in public school or whatever, it's they're lingering. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is it just like part of the job description? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. to hear I'm not the only one that no. has struggled with it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So with your daughter, how did you approach graduation? Did she go to college? She did. Yeah. When you mentioned your daughter like to cook, I was going to, that reminded me that my daughter was actually planning to go into culinary arts when she started sharing with us that that's what she thought she would do after high school. We started like pointing all of our efforts towards getting her into a school that had a culinary art program and then preparing her because in, again, in our state, you can do uh, with the dual enrollment, she could take classes as a high schooler that counted both for college and for high school. Mm-hmm. So we started picking things that would help support that life choice. Anyway, she was in college. She had like a, I think a semester left or two semesters left. I can't remember. And she called me one day and said, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I, I just realized I'm going to be on my feet for 16 hours a day, every day of the, every weekend for the rest of my life. And I can't do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I can't. I can't finish. I don't want to spend. I mean, we, we had saved up some money for her to go to school and she's like, I don't want to finish. I don't want to spend your money on something. I can tell you, I already hate, (laughs) you know, I love cooking for people. I'm not going to stop cooking, but I can't do this like in a restaurant. So I, we didn't even have an argument, but my, our conversation about that lasted all of 20 minutes. And I'm like, even if she listened to me, she'd be miserable. So she didn't go to college. I don't know how that's going to all work with the boys. I mean, they're, my oldest mm-hmm. is just starting sixth grade, so we don't really have to worry about that yet. And like I said, with my daughter, I mean, the co- the conversation started coming up from her before I had this really uh, earlier than I expected it to. So I, I'm not I'm not too sold out on college as the only option to be successful. Mm-hmm. Although I am a very big supporter of education in general, it's just I just don't know if it's always the right fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. I was a late bloomer myself. So like yeah. I didn't do college right out of high school. I went back when I was like 25. So 23, but anyway, yeah, yeah I didn't, I couldn't do it right at 18 and a half. <laughs> I had some yeah. life. I went into the first, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So, well, and I mean, the current state of the economy and that kind of thing, sometimes trades are actually a better option than, than college and going to a trade school can be a really good option for a lot of kids as well. Um, so how did you help prepare her to be able to do what it, whatever it was that she wanted to do, getting into the culinary arts school or getting into college? How did you guys approach that? Well, um, even and- we have a learning lifestyle. So she, we've, we teach all of our kids to be pretty resourceful as soon as they can, like and teaching them how to sort information so that they're not you know, you don't have to bog yourself down, like just really teaching them how to sort what's good quality information on the internet for, for sure. I feel a little less nervous about that with books. That's probably just a, <laughs> that's probably just a, a belief system of mine. I'm sure there's crappy books out there too, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, the, the transcripts were pretty easy because I had my spreadsheet that I created, you know, that mm-hmm. basically said she, you know, I knew exactly how many credit hours we had spent in each subject. And so, yeah, I just filled in, there's a, in Iowa, I think you just fill out a form online and then they, yeah, they, I had to make up a name for our school and she got to walk since she was dual enrolled, the school let her walk graduation with her class, but she chose to walk with the homeschool group and they have a, a special 
graduation ceremony in Des Moines to in for the homeschool kids. Those were all minor points to her. She was just like, I have my diploma. That's what she really cared about was mm-hmm. having being able to finish. And then the college transcripts, I think what if you can, if you're in a state where you can get a diploma that I think that solves a lot of your transcript questions in most colleges, because it's basically their certificate saying they fulfilled the high school requirements. If you're not in that case, I know a lot of homeschool, like one of my dearest friends at homeschools too, she ended up writing a transcript for the army. And she basically, she's like, I've have my records of what we did because I had to Mm -hmm. keep them for the state. So she just went back and added up totals. It took her half a day to do it, but she was able to do it. If I have advice for new people are new to homeschooling, just keep track of what you're doing. I I create a Google form, then it automatically populates to a spreadsheet, even for my kids in grade school. And when we're done with school for the day, I just go in and fill out the form. And I, you know, a lot of times it's just check boxes. Did we do math? Did we do this? Whatever. Uh, sometimes I'm more specific and I leave like an open box to type in like which worksheet we did or what lesson in our history book we did or whatever. But, and I've, my homeschool supervisors don't need me to do that at this age, but I just, if I ever had to go back and tell somebody what I did, I don't want to rely on my memory. So right. I just do it. It doesn't take much time. It takes about five minutes a day. It takes longer to create the form than it does to fill it out. I, I think that's a great idea. Having that form that you just automatically, like it's already, it's already put together and you just fill it out every day. Yeah. yeah. And I make a new one um, at the beginning of the school year so that it's tailored to what our actual objectives are this year. It's kind of my way to check in and go, oh, did we touch on everything or did I get off on a bunny trail <laughs> too long? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, in Iowa, there's a, a transcript document that you can basically download already. I think that we, yeah, I'm pretty sure I filled it out online and then mm. they, and then that's how they decided to send me the diploma if I recall correctly. And then for colleges, I mean, a lot of times you can just draft something on, like create yourself a little school letterhead (laughs) for your homeschool. And then like, write. You can write just a letter saying we did this many credit hours in these subjects over the last four years. And that usually suffices as well. Okay, cool. And what did she take in college? She was a culinary arts major. She also, she took a couple accounting classes okay. that counted for college credit also while she was in high school. And then, Hey, by the way, that was our redemptive moment. Like we started off her hating math and she hated the, she struggled with this math teacher, right? And she was behind in math. That's how we started in fifth grade. Well, by 11th grade, she was like, Hey, I think I found a math I like. And I'm like, That's what awesome. do you mean? She's like, no, seriously, don't hold this against me. But I love accounting because it all balances. And I'm like, Yay! Because <laughs> I still don't like algebra, but I can see I can see a use for it. And yes. but I I still hate it. <laughs> well, and I mean, accounting math is something that everybody needs. Like, not everyone yeah, needs algebra, but everybody needs to have accounting yes. done for them, right? So. Yeah, and she was one of those kids too, where we I talked about budgeting a lot with her when she was in high school, and her budgeting her own money and. That's a skill that, I mean, we could have a whole podcast episode seriously about like, what skills do your kids need to know besides doing their schoolwork? Like there's Mm -hmm. so many things. I don't remember my, my parents ever talking to me about budgeting. Money was kind of like their domain. And Mm -hmm. I, so I just made a point to, even with my younger boys, they had a little lemonade stand yesterday. So we talked about their business, about how much they were investing up front and how much they needed to make a profit. And you know, they ended up making $5 a piece. It was 
pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> I'm sure they were thrilled. <laughs> I don't think they feel like it was easy, though. And that's um, that's part of my other big thing with money. Um, I don't think kids learn the value of money mm-hmm. unless they have to do something to earn it. And so we've always been supportive of any little spark of entrepreneurship in our kids, whether that's babysitting or my, my, my three boys dog sit for my brother when he's traveling for work and I mean, whatever. And then, then they have a a work that they've done to earn the money and that creates value. And then they budget it. And that also creates kind of a spending, like their spending priorities change because they see how much effort they had to go through to get the money. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a skill you can't teach by just giving an allowance for no reason. So did college have any impact on what she's doing for work now? Or is it kind of, that was not really taken into consideration at all for her, her work now? That's interesting. Yeah, no. uh, So she was working at Earl Mace doing retail. She was actually on a career path to being like a store manager. Mm -hmm. Um, That was also going to make her work every weekend. So she was like, I mean, you have to if you're running a store you have to fill in if somebody doesn't make it so she was so that she started looking around and she actually landed into this office manager job because a friend of hers was working in the the psychiatric side of this place and helped her get the job so and turns out she loves it but what I can say though that prepared her I have always been an entrepreneur too and so she has done tons of like booths we ran Mm -hmm. a daycare together she was I paid her out of our daycare money to be she was my partner part-time help during high school and so she has a ton of customer service experience Mm. and and then of course like I said the she decided she loved that kind of math so I think that kind of of all built her built her up to be able to walk into a job like that with skills I'm not taking credit for it because she's amazing in her own right without my influence by the way (laughs) the fact that she treats all of her the people that work for her as like her sisters or her children or her best friends like she really nurtures them like they're people that's natural in her she's always been an open nurturer and that's part of why she loved plants too because she could nurture them too (laughs) anyway looking back I would say that it was a lot of our entrepreneurial experience together during high school like she had a bake sale she was raising money to go to camp a couple summers in a a row so she would do bake sales with her culinary skills and Mm. yeah she has tons of experience using the things she already knows how to do to benefit Mm -hmm. the business and the collective and make and maybe a transaction that helps her her goals too I just kind of feel like that without realizing that's what we were doing that's kind of helped her to be able to manage the front office and the billing uh-huh. yeah but no she hasn't had any specific training around it is I I'm that's what part of what the reason I'm so proud of her she just got really had an, a super awesome opportunity and she happened to have the right personality and the right skills already developed in her that she could walk in and say yes and be dependable so so um, all you new moms out there don't underestimate the value of teaching work ethic because like seriously yeah. Even her first couple server jobs right out of high school, like she was working at IHOP serving pancakes, right? And she would actually clean the syrup under the table because she had little brothers and she knew kids don't just dump syrup on top of the table, right? And her manager loved her. He was like, after three weeks, was like, you're going to be an assistant manager because you're so thorough. And she's like... I just have little brothers. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like this, this table is gross. And he's like, she said that he'd say all the time, but you show up early for your shift. You work hard. You're thorough. I, why wouldn't I promote you? And she's like, I don't want to be a manager at IHOP mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we, we, uh, we don't realize that that's like, that's a super important skill too. It has nothing yeah. to do with, with schoolwork, but it yeah. does. And like, it really does. Yeah. So. That's awesome. That attention to detail and knowing. Yeah. 
what things need to be done and just doing them regardless and the work ethic to actually do them. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. The, need, the get to's and the have to's. That's yeah. That's, that's our language around it. We, we get to do a lot of things once you get your have to's done today. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So as we wrap up, if you could tell someone that's just starting with homeschooling or they're struggling a little bit with their homeschool journey, what would you say? Ooh, that's a good question. First of all, don't like, do not be a homeschool island. I think that that's really hard for moms to be like homeschooling and you're kind of in your homeschool cave because you're just with your kids and you don't really talk to other adults or other homeschoolers. Whether you get into a co-op or a co-learning situation or not, that's totally up to you, but at least have a few friends that are also homeschooling and especially you know, try to make some friends with people that have been doing it a while because they're really good resources. I mean, first of all, they're built, they're natural teachers. Like the the lady that kind of took me under her wings, my, one of my closest friends in the homeschool world, her name's Melissa. She had been homeschooling for like 10 or 15 years before I started. And so mm-hmm. she's the one that said, you know, be, be your student student for a while. Just get to know her. Don't try to do school at home. It's not the same. And just kind of see how she ticks. If I had only had friends, other friends that were just starting in homeschool, nobody would have known to tell me that. So I think you can say, we can save ourselves a lot of time just letting the other women in, in the homeschool world be supportive in the capacity that they can be. And also like, it's so easy to forget yourself too, as you're making the transition. And I would say that would be the other really big thing is to make sure that you still like, still have a hobby that you like, or still have a a work project. Or like, I have always either blogged or had, I mean, I've always had some pet hobby that's, I'm an entrepreneur too, but I always have at least like one little pet hobby that I'm just doing just for fun. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's all my paint back behind me. My kids are so understanding too. Like I don't have to be alone in a room to paint or whatever. Like I can do it in like while they're having lunch or something and just right over the other side of the room. When you're treating your kids with a lot of respect, the mutual respect that comes back to you is, is amazing. And they, they, yeah, they're totally okay with you being a person too. So. Yeah. And they like it. They like, it's been interesting. Like I've been trying to start doing things like working out more and that kind of thing, but I intentionally do it around my kids and they like being able to be involved. You know what I mean? When I do those things to take care of myself, they're like, Ooh, that's a good thing to do. I want to do it too. And it's, yeah. Oh yeah. I guess I thought of the, my other third thing is remember that more is caught than taught. That's something that saves because just like what you said, if I want my kids to have just good eating habits, for example, I can't eat Doritos for lunch and starve myself and have Pepsi and Doritos all day, right? Like a teenager, yeah. which I'm not anymore. <laughs> and then expect them to want to eat vegetables. It doesn't really work that way. They're they're watching what I'm choosing to do. They watch the way I, the kind of respect I show for my own body and my own health and my own um, needs. And so a lot of what they are learning is just whatever I'm modeling. And mm-hmm. um, so you have to be careful that I'm, that the, that there's something worthwhile to catch because they're mm-hmm. going to catch more than I'm teaching them more, way more is caught than taught. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. So if people want to find you, Sasha, where they, can, where can they find you? Oh yeah. I would, I would love to connect. I love talking about, I could talk about the homeschooling and human design and all that stuff for hours. I think kids are fascinating. So yes, if you want to connect more and talk about your specific homeschool situation or your, your children, I can be found on my website. It's www.sashaclark.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram too. You can just send me a private message too. We can connect there. Awesome. And you have a podcast. Is that right? I do. I do. It's called human design for parents and kids. I'm just sharing little tips 
tidbits. A lot of times moms, when they're first learning human design, there's tons of free information on the the internet. So it's not like my podcast is like exceptional because it's all the information. What it does that's different is that it's like, okay, here's this energy in the chart. Now, what do we do with it? Like the practical side of it, how does that, what does that look like in my home or with that particular child or in a discipline situation? Like a classic example is a lot of times kids have these big waves of emotion. It's part of their defined solar plexus. And so I want one of the episodes I recorded recently was talking about how to as a person, just like let that wave happen instead of fighting it or trying to stop it or change it or coach it. (laughs) Because for them, they can't really, it's such a big feeling. It's like a wave of the ocean. You can't really stop that. And so learning how to still have control of your home and not feel like you're being tossed around by all these big feelings, but yet um, letting the child just have the wave. And so anyway, things like that. So lots of practical tips about how to work with the energy, not so much about defining the energy or me- memorizing all the gates or whatever. A lot of parents don't really need that information. They just need to know like, what can, what's a quick tip I can do when I'm in that situation where I'm being overwhelmed by someone's big feeling that I can help support them with that feeling. So it's on Spotify, the human design for parents and kids. So great to be here. And I, thanks for, I'm really happy with, to be part of what you're doing for homeschoolers. I think it's neat. I wish there was a podcast I could have listened to when I first started out. It would have been really helpful. Podcasts yeah. are like oh, my jam. Cause <laughs> you can do that while you're cooking the second breakfast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. Well, thank you so much, Sasha. It's been great having this conversation with you and so many great tidbits that you've been able to share. And I really hope that, you know, we get people to listen in and be able to use some of the things you shared with us. So thanks again. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Homeschooler. I hope you gained some insights that will help you and your family in your education journey. I look forward to having you join me on the next episode.